Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hey, everybody! It's Securing Bridges. I'm Melissa Miller, and you are here with us once again. That has me super excited. This is episode 42. 42 episodes now we've done on this. That, that alone is crazy. And it's thanks to all of you because you keep tuning in. So apparently I'm not that boring, and I mean, well, maybe I am, but my guests are awesome, so that's what matters most. If you haven't checked out the other 41 episodes yet, probably should start doing that. But wait until we're done here. Here's a pro tip. If you're gonna check out the other episodes, watch them on like 1.2 speed. You'll get through them a lot faster. 1.5, well, I kind of talk too fast for that. So if you're gonna listen at 1.5, good luck to you. You're never gonna keep up with what I'm saying. But hey, check them out, because they're awesome. I have had so many incredible guests, and this week, of course, is no exception. So let's dive right in. It's so good to have you all here. And with me today, I've got Jason Haddock. Jason, how are you? Hey, Alyssa, how you doing? I'm doing well. I am doing spectacular. Well, okay, maybe I'm lying. Maybe I'm not. You guys <laughs> figure it out. But I'm here. I'm, I've got the energy, and I'm ready to rock and roll. So... I hope everybody who's watching has at least heard your name once before, maybe twice. I mean, you're, you're kind of a big deal. But, uh, <laughs> just in case they don't know, can you just introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us, you know, just kind of what you do and who you are. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is uh, Jason Haddix. I am the CISO and head hacker in charge at a company called Buttobot. Uh, before that, I was the CISO at Ubisoft, which is a video game company, make Assassin's Creed and The Division and uh, Just Dance, uh, titles like that. Uh, before that, I was heavily integrated into the bug bounty scene at uh, Bug Crowd. And um, I've been a lifelong hacker, probably in offensive security now for 17 years. The last seven, I transitioned into being more leadership in the CISO role. Um, and I've been you know, trying to ride that line ever, ever since. Uh, and uh, and yeah, and now with my new company doing uh, Red Team as a service, adversarial emulation, and uh, just loving loving every day of it. So yeah, I mean, clearly you've resisted the assimilation better than I have because like you're sitting there in the hacker hoodie, and I'm sitting here with a freaking blazer on. You know, I love the blazer actually. <laughs> uh, my favorite move is the hacker, you know, scene T-shirt under the blazer. That's my favorite move. Yeah. yeah, I've done yeah. that once or twice myself, yeah. but, but yeah. today, I'm not going to lie, it's actually the aviation polo. Ah, uh, there you go, there you go. Hoping yeah. that if uh, things clear up, I'm going to check, oh, hey, I got green now, I might get to go flying later. Oh, so. there you go, there you go, nice. <laughs> but cool, so so let's talk about that a little bit, actually, because I'm kind of curious. You, you mentioned being a lifelong hacker. Mm-hmm. Anybody want to question now why I got this guy on my show? <laughs> no, I mean, seriously. But no, I mean, how... How has that kind of been that that transition right now? You said it's you know like the last seven years you've been more in leadership, but going from you know kind of the, those technical spaces to more of like a, a an executive leadership role. Yeah, yeah, it's re- it's really interesting. Um, 
I think it has, I think it's a double-edged sword, right? I think that there is massive benefits to it uh, in having someone who comes from that background, uh, being in, you know, in the leadership chair, being there for the board meetings, being there for, uh, you know, guiding and prioritizing the security program. Um, but you also do lose a little bit of the cutting edge tech chops, right? If I were to say, you know, today I'm the same hacker I was, you know, probably like maybe like, you know, six years, seven years ago when that's all I was doing, I would, I would be lying. Right. So <laughs> I have to work, I have to work extra hard, um, in my free time to keep up the technical chops. Right. So, yes. uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's a really interesting dichotomy. Um, you know, and at first I, you know, everybody was like, just drop the hacker stuff. Like you're ready for executive life. Like, you know, you can just go be a CISO and right off into the sunset and, you know, make whatever CISOs make and, and be happy. But that's just not my life force. That's not my blood. So it's yeah. not your identity. And that's no. the thing. That's like saying to someone, hey, could you just stop being German now? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. 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 No, yeah. no, that's yeah. not how this works. Yeah. I, that's like a really important thing that I don't think people realize. I, I think for folks, definitely for me, and it sounds like for you too, like being a hacker is just, it's who I am, yeah. it's who you are. It's it, its not something I became. That, that's actually my favorite question is, how'd you become a hacker? Right. Um, my mom born that way. Me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. literally, that's, that's how I got here. Um, but... Uh, so, so it's interesting because you mentioned too, um, you're kind of losing your, a little bit of your, your tech chops or you're kind yeah. of edge a little bit. What, what do you do to try to, to hold on to that? And why is, why do you feel like that's important? Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of it these days is bug bounty work, right? So yeah. free time bug bounty work. So you do your you do your day job. And then luckily at my current job, I get to, I mean, I'm designing the service at my my current job, evolving, you know, kind of our normal pen testing stuff into more of a red team, full holistic flavor. And so I get to do testing during the day, actually, which is nice now. It's like 50-50. Um, but uh, before that, when I was in, you know, pure leadership roles, I would have to rely on bug bounty um, and just having like open scope programs where I was still developing my own tools, still you know looking at sites and you know mostly my bread and butter was web hacking so looking at websites breaking them down figuring out where the exploits were or where the misconfigurations were and stuff like that and um i mean it was really important to me right like uh i feel like i was quicker on my feet when we had incidents because i knew exactly what was happening i knew you know how to respond but one of the things i tell a lot of CISOs is like if you aren't technical enough you know, to to understand, you know, kind of the nomenclature that goes around, you know, hacking and offensive security, you know, have someone good right next to you, because it helps you really prioritize your security program away from the type of prioritization CISOs are taught to prioritize from, which is like, you know, compliance-based prioritization, basically. Um, and so with my hacker, you know, like know-how, uh, you know, I prioritize, you know, like, I mean, at least I put a heavy weight on external to internal. I put a heavy weight on, you know, I know that we're going to be fished eventually, you know, like everything that you would see in a standard red team engagement is so easy nowadays. Um, but many of the compliance standards that we all adhere to these days are not really prioritizing, you know, that kind of stuff. And if you have a limited budget, you know, as a CISO, prioritization is everything in your program. Yeah. No, I, oh my God, we're just 
there's a whole thread going on Twitter right now that I, I might have picked a fight. If you can imagine that <laughs> right. about prioritization of security controls. But you know, I, I've, it's it's an interesting point you bring up because there are a lot of CISOs out there who don't have that perspective, and I don't think that that breaks them as a CISO. It's not you know, yeah. but I, I think if like hackers are like this mystical being to you as a CISO, that's probably problematic. And you should be looking for someone that can, like you said, sit close and bring you some of that perspective. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, the compliance stuff is important too. And I, you, I, I sit in a space where I have to think about that every day too. Yeah. And it, it, it's hard at times as a CISO to, you know, someone who's got a, a very hackerish background yeah. um, to, to think about that. So how do you kind of balance the two of those being that yep. you, you come from that same space and maybe, you know, sometimes we almost vilify, you know, compliance a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I don't vilify, like, I, I don't try not to, at least. I mean, sometimes I'm sure it comes out wrong, but um, you know, I, I do understand the need for compliance. It does bring our industry up, you know, to at least a uh, like a base minimum standard, I feel like. So there's nothing wrong with, you know, uh, working to get your compliances. So I, I don't have anything against that. I think that, you know, the difference, you know, the difference, I can tell you what I do rather than, you know, what the difference it is. But I mean, you know, like I focus on, you know, when I drop into a security program or when I'm doing, you know, VCSO work or something like that, uh, you know, an asset management program is, you know, one of the first steps to understanding basically anything. And I can't tell you how many places I've been involved with that. I'm like, okay, show me your risk register or your asset management spreadsheet, or show me how CMDB is set up and, you know, how you control, you know, what's out there and what's on the internal. And I'm specifically interested in uh, external asset management, you know, because that's where the hackers are going to, you know, attack. And then I'm interested in, you know, what you're going to do for, protecting your users, right? You know, what endpoint protection are you running? What controls, what IAM, all that kind of stuff. And so you'd be so surprised about how many people who just don't have an asset like management program at all. Like, I'm like, tell me what you have in the internet. And they're like, well, kind of have this and uh, I don't really know, uh, you know, like maybe some stuff there. And then you go in and you run, you know, in the bug bounty world, it's reconnaissance, right? You run reconnaissance on them and you find, you know, somewhere around like 150 to 200 apps and they don't know about at least 20 or 30% of those. And they're like, oh, that's really interesting. And I just don't understand how you can uh, prioritize a program around not knowing, you know, 20 to 30% of your assets online. That's, that's painful, <laughs> at least to me yeah. as a leader. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, I mean, for me, that's like scary, right? Like yeah. that, that's the last thing I want to hear. And you're sitting there wondering like, Okay, do you even, do, do do you know what your IP address range is? Can yeah. you please just run Nmap? Like yeah. just do something. Good yeah. God. Yeah. You know, and so it's and and honestly, that's where, you know, I I mean I've gone, right? Like it's like I actually just this week was well last week working with my IT my IT team. Like I need a second laptop. I need it just you know, bare bones, nothing on it. I'll install everything, but I need something I can run these tools with, which yeah. feels weird to me as, you know, like a, a, an executive yeah. to be doing that. And yet I know that my teams are busy and I don't, I don't want to, you know, bother them with my whims, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, this thing's making me feel really uncomfortable. I just want to go take a look quick. I'm not going to call up someone on the team and say, "Hey, yeah. can you run Nmap on this, you know, on this CIDR block?" And yep. let me know what you find. No, why? Why don't I just do that? I know how to yeah. do that. And yeah, that's, that's a I, 
that's a special problem because I had that at at Ubisoft when I was uh, when I was there. I was like, there were several things I was capable of doing just on a whim, like you mentioned, right? Like um, yeah. looking for a certain vulnerability when it's published on you know Twitter or something like that. Uh, but we had processes for that, and you know, it's like, okay, well, I don't want to step on the toes of the people who I employ, whose job it is to do this, and like. Um, that was a really touchy one, actually, at, at Ubisoft. I was going to tell you a funny story, though. So, so my interview um, at at Ubi was uh, was actually because I did um, full recon on them. So I, I went in and interviewed for the CISO position, and they had a whole bunch of people who had interviewed before. But I structured, uh, you know, they they made everybody do a presentation basically for the interview. Oh wow! And what I did is I did you know a couple phone interviews <clears throat> went really well. And then I did full reconnaissance of uh, of their external landscape, and then I just kind of threat modeled their whole business uh, into. I put it into like um, uh, like I think six or seven different domains of where I thought, just from knowing video games and knowing you know attack surface, yeah. like you know how their business was broken up and how they you know would differently need to secure all these different places so these different portions of their business and that was that was actually how I won the job in the course actually I had found some of their developers hard coded credentials on GitHub too and I disclosed that to them did. yeah oh, uh, of course you did uh but no that was uh <laughs> that was how I got the job right a very thorough kind of risk mapping of of the organization and you know showing that I was passionate about it and uh, and a full recon dump of all of their sites, which, you know, they didn't know of all of them. And it was, it was really fun. So that is awesome. And it's honestly, it, it's a really good idea. Um, <clears throat> I did not go to that length with my current employer. Mm-hmm. I did do some reconnaissance though, because, and that was more from my perspective, right? Like I was getting, you know, you, you talk to an organization, you get a lot of stories. I actually had the opportunity because I was kind of colleagues with, my predecessor in the role. So I was able to talk oh, cool. to them a little bit about, Hey, you know, where are things at? But you also know that like, okay, this is someone who's got pride in what they've built. Yeah. I have to immediately be somewhat suspect or, you know, skeptical of what I'm hearing. Let's go find out for myself. Right. right? And so it was an opportunity for me to kind of figure out what was and wasn't a hundred percent accurate in what I was hearing. And, you know, and, and the reality of it was when I got into some of those discussions, like I realized I probably shouldn't mention these people what I did because they're not the people that are going to react well to, yeah. you know, this person coming in just, you know, yeah. blew through a bunch of our, you know, our attack surface with a couple different tools like Metasploit and shit. Yep. Might have done that. Yep. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's. This was a this was a heated Twitter thread, actually a few weeks back, I want to say like six weeks or five weeks ago, where it was it was talked about like, you know, an applicant had come in and done, you know, like some security analysis and had basically handed them a like a pen test report on the interview. And people were pretty split down the middle about like whether that's, you know, like jailable behavior or that's like initiative. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was uh, it was really it was really interesting. <clears throat> Well, it's funny because the the first half of that is why I would tell someone to be very, very careful and probably don't do that. Yeah. Not because it is jailable, but because there will be people who think it is at that organization. And I mean, you know, from the bug bounty world, if you don't have that safe harbor agreement, mm-hmm. like you, you're, God, you're just, even if in the end you come yeah. out okay, like 
you're setting yourself up for a really dangerous situation there where yep. you could end up. I mean, look at our friends in Dallas County, you know, what happened to them? Yep. I, yeah. Yeah. And you just get caught up in the middle of something political that you had you know, no idea you were even walking into. So I'm, I'm going to say that for everybody watching. Like, if you want to do this, just be very, very careful, especially coming in with like a full pen test report saying, yeah, here's yeah. all your bugs because I want to impress you. But yeah, also I just literally did a pen test against your system and you may not be real happy that I did that. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a lot of great suggestions in the thread as to like how they could have presented it a little bit better. And if they had a bug bounty it would have been better to submit it to the bug bounty than coming with the report. Like there were a lot of nuances there, I think in that conversation that, you know, the, the person could have done, you know, um, to make it safer for themselves. I, I have a bunch of friends who are bug bounty hunters and they have done some really groundbreaking research against, I mean, this week they did it against the whole AI uh, TLD. Um, they've done a whole bunch of stuff in the automotive industry as well. And they're, they're younger hackers and they, they go after whole important industries and they responsibly disclose when they're done, but they hack the crap out of them. Mm -hmm. Um, like, and they do these masterful write-ups and it's usually a team of them and they're just doing it, you know, because they think it's fun and, you know, and they're doing responsible disclosure and they give the vendor all the time they need to fix. But these are not all companies that have bug bounty um, programs or safe harbor. And coming from my generation of hackers, that is scary, uh, scary, 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 you know, to do. But, you know, after having lots of conversations with them, how, you know, the federal laws have changed a little bit around, um, you know, some of the anti-hacking laws, they feel, you know, safe enough to, to do this type of work, um, you know, nowadays. So maybe maybe things are changing for the better where hackers can responsibly disclose and not fear the the legal pinch. But, um, you know, for my generation, it was definitely, you know, uh, oh, for sure. Very, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I remember, so you know, I grew up in financial services and I remember we'd get those. And, and to be fair, I mean, you had organizations back then that really kind of made a mess of this. There was a company, fly by night company. I want to say they were called like online banking security or something horrible like that. And I remember them sending us, you know, their pen test report of our systems. And no, I didn't react well to it. And I worked in security. Like I appreciated what a pen test means. Yeah. But, you know, if you're going to come in and you're going to try to do something like that, because of course, you know what they're trying to do is they're trying to get to the people who don't know what they're talking about, who yeah. are going to get panicked. And, you know, um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think you're right. I, you know, definitely the world has changed a bit since those days. I think, you know, being careful is important. I also think though, there are still, it's easy for us in security to think like, oh, we've grown so far because the security industry has. And a lot of, a lot of industries understand now the value of offensive security and what we do there. But there's still a lot of industries that don't. Correct. Like yeah. if you came to my company, if you came to my CEO and said, hey, I just did a, a you know, an unannounced, unendorsed pen test against your environment. Here's all the things I found. I can tell you right now, well, actually, my CEO would probably be smart enough he'd come to me with it. But I can tell you, he's not going to be happy. And considering I work in a company of lawyers, mm -hmm. yep. probably don't want to do that. Not a good idea. <laughs> That's not the company I would target. <laughs> if nothing else, you're putting me in a situation where I got to convince all those lawyers now, no, we're not going to sue this person. Here's how we handle this. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, so it's interesting, too, because you mentioned the, um, you mentioned AI. 
right? And that's getting all that phrase. Oh my God, has been you know that that term rather it gets a lot of attention. Of course, now we've got large language models and all that that's spurred you know the conflation of AI is basically everything. Um, where I, I know you had mentioned to me that you've done some research in that space. I'm kind of curious, you know, what, what types of things you're looking at? I mean, you mentioned like the TLDs before and whatnot, but that's, I mean, yeah. are you looking actually at the AI, like some of these large language models, or are you looking at other technologies? What have, what have you been digging into? Yes. I mean, my, my free time is broken up into like, you know, some gaming, a lot of research on AI right now, and then um, just like extra, extra work stuff. But um, yeah, all my all my AI research has been both, you know, how do I utilize the current state of AI in offensive security, and then trying to figure out how it's going to disrupt many of the existing implementations of security products and kind of the scene. Um, and uh, so I've kind of attached myself to the DEF CON AI village. So, okay. um, so I'm helping them like uh, design some of the uh, contests and I'm on the board of advisors there. And, um, but, but really like, you know, in the first category of utilizing, you know, large language models and AI, um, I'm using it, you know, to basically do web testing and to, you know, parse exploits and help me port code and all those types of things. Like one of the things I did was I was on a pen test or not a pen test, a bug bounty, like three or four weeks ago. And it was, can't remember if it was a node app or something like that, right? But it was mostly web service driven, RESTful APIs. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to quickly take this giant piece of, you know, uh, source code that I had and figure out, you know, what were all the endpoints and if all the endpoints required authentication. And so I just fed it to the AI. I said, hey, given that this is this type of app, can you first parse out all of the endpoints first? And then it gave me a list of all of the endpoints. And I said, of all those endpoints out of the code, can you tell me which ones require the bear token, which is the authentication token for the API? And it said seven out of the nine do, here are the three that don't. And then I went and tried to execute against those API endpoints. And sure enough, they didn't require authentication and I was able to pull information out of the API. So there's a lot of quick time savers that it can do. It's, it's beautiful at building regex, which is used in a lot of hacker yes. tooling, right? If you, yep. peel back the, if you peel back the curtain of any tooling in the information security scene, sometimes <laughs> it's, it's just fancy regex, right? It's <laughs> yeah, it's always regex. And it's really good at that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I use it. I use it in a couple different ways. Uh, the other thing that I've I've been building lately is dumping press articles about breaches. So, uh, you hear of a new company that has a breach tomorrow, and there's seven or eight press articles of which you know some are syndicated from the same source, but others are original. And you dump them all into a folder, and it will parse all of them and break it down into its MITRE attack path um, and what uh, what the TTPs were for the individual attack path. Um, and it'll break down like a professional summary. And so we use this at Butterbot to basically look at a domain of uh, like, if we were going after a healthcare yeah. company to see what other healthcare companies are facing with like threat actors and stuff like that. So um, it's really useful at, you know, doing that kind of stuff, um, you know, data parsing. And, and then when I went to RSA, I mean, I just walked up and down the floor of RSA and was just looking at companies and being like, yeah, that one's in for some changes. Like that one's in for some changes. Like that one's probably going to be okay but like uh just the fact that the llms can instantly parse data as well as they can and uh, and do it in a contextual manner um is you know probably one of the most powerful tools that that we've seen 
in tech and, and obviously security for, for a long, long time. So, Well, I, I like that you brought that up that way because I know there's a lot of, well, I mean, just anecdotally across the world, across society in general, right? There's all the, the usual panic of, oh my God, AI is going to take our jobs. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God, robots are going to take our jobs. I mean, yeah. how long have I, as long as I've been alive, something is always taking our jobs. Yeah, always somehow, taking our jobs. People continue to have jobs. Yeah. Um, the only the economy sucking is the only thing that ever seems to take jobs, but that's a different story. Yeah. Um, but you know, I've I've seen people in the security space, particularly security operations, like worried that oh my god, you know, all of our sock jobs are going to be replaced with AI, and I just I, I don't see that. Do you? I mean, I I see a lot of the stuff that sock analysts complain about in tier one. Like yeah, that'll that'll be augmented. I don't even think it'll fully be replaced by la large language models and AI, um, but it'll be it'll be there, and it'll be a tool that you use as a SOC analyst. And it might get rid of some of the stuff that you don't really like doing anyway. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that I think that SOC tier one, if you want to call it that, gets disrupted a little bit. But I mean, you want to be SOC tier two or three anyway, right? So um, I think that. Yeah, I think it's just a tool. It's just a, it's just a tool like everybody, you know, it's a tool like Metasploiter. It's a tool like Nmap or whatever, you know, like you just got to get used to it. It's a little scary at first, but, um, you know, to those people, I would just say, hey, like the superpower is actually getting ahead of it right now and understanding how to utilize the tool, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm shaving hours off of my day. I've written whole tools in Python that I probably wouldn't have been able to written to write before, but now, you know, having the, you know, coder oracle next to me helped me write these things like you know it i can build like whole new frameworks and stuff it's it's pretty amazing what you can do with it you know as an assistant so um you know get used to using it and you'll have superpowers <laughs> and that's I, I as an assistant that's another way to put i like that even better than tool right because I've, yeah. been, I've been saying like yeah it's a tool you know it's just another tool it's an <clears throat> but what it's doing is it's increasing your capability as yeah. a stock analyst it's not taking your job it's making you that much stronger, more effective because you can, you don't have to sit there and parse through just gabs of data. And oh, yeah. I mean, now you can take a bunch of alerts, you can feed them through, let the AI do the correlation and spit out, you know, some information to you that now you can action yeah. as, you know, the SOC analyst. But you still, I don't think, I don't see us ever getting away from wanting humans yeah. decisions like that. Where, You'll okay, need to I verify what happened, but yeah. now what do we want to do? Because what's going to impact the business? There's just there's so much nuance that I don't think this stuff, especially not large language models, is ready to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I think that when, <clears throat> I, I mean, I think that when we get to like you know phase two or three, a lot of people, you know, of whatever AI is in security, a lot of people will try to automate a lot of this stuff. But what they'll come back down to is just um, there will need to be humans who have contextual knowledge to give a no you know, no go you know um answer or yes no go answer on security decisions right and you know given the you know maturity right now of some of the models and their you know propensity to hallucinate and things like that <laughs> um or the fact that you can give them the same question several times and they will give back different answers each time uh you know like there's you're still going to need to have at least for the foreseeable future i'm, I'm talking about the next five ten years humans yeah. in the pipeline you know, like helping you with those decisions, especially security decisions. So, um, 
like I said, I think they are a tremendous tool <laughs> for being able to answer giant questions across data sets, like you said, right? Mm -hmm. And I also think that the information security or just the, the business world, you know, there's only about 20% of the business world that even has a data lake that's, you know, capable of ingesting the type of data that you want to implement these, you know, type of models on or train them on. So um, we have a lot of work to do with organizing our data before you can even utilize these types of things. And so, yeah, there's, there's still a lot of work to be done, um, but it, it's a good time to get into it, honestly. Yeah. So. so you're saying we're still kind of data hoarders, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, the dis disparate sources, uncleaned, um, it's just not great. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I hear you. Unfortunately, I work in an industry where a lot of the data is that way by design you know, or by purpose. Yeah, yeah. It has to be that way because, but yeah, and it's, and that's, you know, I, I just, I look at the level of nuance and some of the decisions we make from a security perspective, even from a business perspective. And I just, you know, we have not, that I've seen come up with a single AI model that understands that level of nuance and that level of just, you know, unspoken knowledge of even just political, you know, mindsets. And I don't mean like political, like government political, I'm talking like, you know, the politics of business, mm -hmm. you know, and it's just, I haven't seen where we're even close yet. I mean, we, we had this story. I don't know if it's true or not. Now I've heard it was, I heard it wasn't, but they ran some simulation supposedly with a drone that was going to kill its operator because I saw that yeah. its operator was stopping it from yeah, you know, immediately doing, objectives. Yeah. Which I think, honestly, I think that was confidential information. It wasn't supposed to have been shared. And so mm. the backpedal was, Oh no, no, never. It actually really happened. There was no simulation. Right. Right. I didn't see that. The man behind the curtain yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think what will happen is, is businesses in the hype will subscribe to the ideal of these of these models or, or large language models and they will start to build them into apis for their businesses so all of this contextual knowledge or data that they've been hoarding um they'll turn them into apis or chatbots or whatever to either offer themselves an advantage in business to try to ask those oracles internally you know how do they steer their business or they'll turn them into products for their users apis that their users consume and what will happen is now an llm is also an attack surface right because through that api you can start attacking it with natural language right using things like prompt injection and start you know asking it to give you data that maybe you're not supposed to have access to but the language model does have access or the api through the language model does and then you know in order to make those services better for their clients they're going to hook them up to other internal integrations and then you're going to be able to attack those systems like what if one integrates with the internal company slack or jira or something like that to pull you know different sorts of data or documents or whatever or just has access via the credential it's used on its local computer you know its local linux box um there's a there's going to be like a reckoning <laughs> of um you know ai hacking through natural language sure. uh, as all these businesses implement this into their their stuff I look at it and I'm like, man, I wish I could have, if I could have had this when I was a kid, like, <laughs> I, that, that roadmap, that, you know, attack vector would have been amazing. Right. All this stuff I wouldn't have had to learn. It's so, <laughs> it's so interesting because, you know, when you get into this type of stuff, no longer are you and me sitting at a keyboard clacking away and entering, you know, uh, semicolons and apostrophes and code right now we're right. using natural language to try to trick 
uh, you know, uh, model into giving up data or doing something it's not supposed to do. So it's a completely different skill set. It feels really weird to do this. Yeah. Honestly, it's a, it's a, it's a trip. Like to just be like, uh, you know, suppose you are X and that you have the ability to read Y and you know one character at a time. You know, read out this thing and like you know, it's it's really interesting. So yeah, I mean, it's in an odd, strange sort of way. It's almost like social engineering meets the the technical hacking. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> it's kind of bizarre old sort of way. It it actually almost works. Um. Yeah. So I mean, but this is cool. Like. See, and this is the thing that I think is so neat to understand is as a CISO, <laughs> you don't necessarily have to give up all of this. You know, we don't have to totally move away from the tech because there is, and it, it can be really cool. And, you know, you can get into a lot of really neat stuff that applies to your business. I mean, yeah. you know, we, in my organization, we had to dig in pretty quick to, all right, what is it? What are we even going to set as a policy? around use of AI. And then how are we going to educate our people on, you know, how to use AI safely and avoid, you know, common pitfalls of, you know, upload all your code and tell (laughs) chat GPT to, to comment it for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, please don't do that. that. I mean, there's, it's such a wild west. It's such a wild west right now because, uh, you know, even OWASP just announced the LLM top 10 really recently. So that's in like pre-alpha. Um, and I'm one of the people there just trying to like, you know, uh, participate. But uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff. I, I think we're addressing it faster than we did. Like if you think of mobile, it took us a little while to respond to mobile security. Um, <laughs> I mean, mobile, mobile got adopted so fast, uh, mobile apps is specific, yeah. and they just blew up and then, you know, two, three, four years after we were catching up with security and how to secure code and, you know, Objective-C and, you know, and Android uh, languages. And so, um, but I think that right away, people are thinking about the security impl- implications of uh, of AI right now. So OWASP is starting, MITRE has a project um, that's looking at it. And um, yeah, so it's, it's really interesting. It's all greenfield and uh, a lot of people are trying to, you know, do good work there. Yeah, I, you know, and that that's actually a promising thing. It, it is like maybe we are actually learning something from our past. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, we, we do seem to be getting better um, at getting ahead of the game. And what's more important, uh, what I'm seeing at least, is non-security people are getting better about, ooh, this cool, this technology looks really cool, but wait, I got to think about this for a minute. And I... You know, like I think we can thank personal assistants, like you know the ones from the the Smiley Box company yeah. and and yeah. the Half Eaten Fruit company, and <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like because I think those honestly taught consumers like here's some real risks of this stuff. Like people yeah. got to use it and they got to see what's good and what's bad. Oh, hey, I was talking in my house about this thing and suddenly I started getting you know. Uh, unsolicited ads in Facebook for the same thing that we, I was just talking about that I've never Googled in my life. Like, yeah. oh, hmm. So I, yeah. I think that people are starting to, and some of it's probably overblown, but it's making people think about it. No, I mean, the, the public is is more interested in than, I mean, than they've ever been in privacy and security. Um, I, I worry that they're just bombarded by, you know, so much of it these days that maybe they don't, care about the outcomes as much anymore but 
uh yeah that's that's another you know complete problem but um yeah. but yeah There's i mean like apathy. as yeah. yeah right yeah i mean there's definitely apathy when i hear that there's getting like you know like another data breach of a company that i use as my you know like insurance or you know like <laughs> or my you know some anything right like anything yeah. that everybody uses you know subject to a data breach every 30 days or something like that so um there is some apathy in uh in that but um but i do think that you know, we are doing more about it and we we push more about it and there's a lot more press about, you know, security now than there ever was. So um, it does indicate that we're getting a little bit better for sure. Cool. Yeah. All right. So we're getting down to the end, but I actually want to throw something at you because this is yeah. kind of, this will be an interesting question. Sure. Um, well, I, I'm interested in your answer. The question okay. is boring, but um, thinking about everything we talked about, especially, you know, the, the going from hacker to CISO and there's a lot of people who, when they start getting into cybersecurity, like they, they kind of see being the CISO as like the, the thing, right? That's like the, the pinnacle goal for them. And I don't know how many think through it or don't, but you know, I mean, I, I know some people have great expectations of that. And some people, you know, kind of don't really understand what that actually means in light of that. If you heard from somebody who's, you know, maybe where you started, you know, working, maybe they're, or maybe they're doing bug bounties today and they don't even, you know, they don't have a day job that's paying them for cybersecurity stuff, mm -hmm. but they someday want, they tell you someday they want to be a CISO. What is your advice to them? Um, I mean, I think, oh boy, I think it's to realize uh, that, you know, like, like when I thought of what a CISO was before I did the job. I had some very unrealistic expectations. I thought it was designing security strategy 100% um, of the time and, you know, helping high-speed teams implement that strategy and sometimes, you know, being in on the technical talks and stuff like that. And what the job ends up actually being a lot of times is being in PowerPoints and, um, and being in Excel spreadsheets and running budget for a large <laughs> security team and, you know, figuring out hiring and figuring out, pol you know, political arguments between business groups and, so really, there is about 60% of the job that is not security strategy at all. It's uh, it's mostly, you know, being able to be um, presentable. It's, you know, having some great, you know, design and PowerPoint skills. It's uh, being able to argue with other high-powered executives or, you know, convince in some areas or barter um, in, some, in some areas. It's, uh, you know, it's making hard decisions, you know, to figure out how the budget gets spent and... Um, and these are these are things that people don't really talk about when they talk about the CISO role, right? They talk, they think, you know, mostly it's going to be security strategy. So, um, so if you're into that and you and you do want that to be your thing, um, there's more resources than ever, right? So this podcast is one where you bring on like a tremendous amount of guests, right? But go go parse every single one of the like CISO and, and executive leader based podcasts that exists out there and just start taking notes about how these people handle different things. And the biggest hot seat that any CISO will deal with is being um, at the end of a breach, right? Uh, you know, in in incident response mode. I mean, uh, compliance is hard. You know, uh, enabling business is hard. But what's extremely hard is being in you know the ultimate incident commander when there is an actual breach uh, happening. And so. Uh, you know, learn the incident response process, uh, you know, learn the portions of security that you're going to have to implement as a program in different maturity states and um, and start taking notes, you know, around how other really world-class CISOs, you know, do these jobs and things that you think are interesting and you'll be on your way in no time, I would say. Awesome. Love that. 
That is amazing advice. So if you're out there, I hope you internalize that. If this is something you think you want to do, because I think it is everything you just said, Jason, is like spot on as far as my opinions anyway. Um, but we are to that time. It, it, we made it there already. That's um, quick, yeah. It does go by fast. Yeah. And it has with every one of my guests, I think. I don't think there's a guest I've had on yet where I wasn't like, we're done already. <laughs> but, uh, but no, yeah. I really appreciate you taking the time. This has been a blast. I've really enjoyed it. And hopefully all you out there in the inner tubes and whatnot have uh, enjoyed it as well. Um, we'll keep coming back. I got a super cool guest. I'm not even telling you who it is yet. You'll have to watch social media to find out who it is. But I do have a really cool guest lined up for next week again. I mean, would you expect any less? Look at this. Hey, Jason Haddock's on here today. It's amazing. But uh, we'll be back. We'll come back next week. We got another great show lined up. But Jason, thank you again for joining us today. And uh, I, I can't say how much I can't put it into words how much I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, everyone. Awesome. Take care, everybody. We will see you next week right here on Securing Bridges. Until then, have a wonderful week. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.